Welcome everyone to this edition of Grow Opportunity, the podcast. This episode is brought to you by Grower Day, a one-day educational event on June 22nd for licensed producers of cannabis in Canada. Many of you listening today will know our special guest on the show today, David Hyde. David is CEO of Hyde Advisory and Investments, a cannabis-focused business, brokerage, and strategic advisory firm. David's team brokers global cannabis M&A and partnership transactions, in addition to conducting pre-acquisition due diligence. David is also co-founder of Canon Navigators, a global cannabis licensing, compliance, and regulatory consultancy servicing cannabis companies, new market entrants, foreign local governments, cannabis startups, and investment groups with experience in 19 countries. David also serves as an independent advisor to cannabis company boards of directors and executive management, bringing his nine years of cannabis sector consulting experience to bear on behalf of his clients. Welcome, David. Thanks, Andrew. So uh, I, I wanted to kick off the podcast. Uh, I was hoping that you could you could tell our our listeners, uh, you know, a little about how you got involved in the industry and and how your position evolved to where you are today. Yeah, it's been a really um, eclectic uh, kind of journey, really, in a way I didn't expect to be in the cannabis industry at all. Um, I, I, I spent 20 years working for a very large corporation, ending up as a global director of security and risk management. Um, so a very businessy kind of background. And then um, essentially, I was consulting, uh, doing security consulting. And I um, was doing a TV hit for CBC. I did quite a lot in the old days of um, national security, terrorism related news um, news stories. And uh, the CEO of Bedrocan at the time, which was one of the first Canadian LPs and well-known global LP, uh, saw me on the news there and, and then rang me up after, found me on LinkedIn and said, hey, like I saw you talking about security. We need some, a security specialist for uh, this new cannabis regulated industry that's coming around. We want to be one of the first out of the gate and we'd love to have you on board. So we met for a coffee and um, he, he introduced me to the cannabis, the science of cannabis, what's behind it, the medicinal qualities. And I started to learn and read up on it. And I jumped in with both feet. As I started out working with the early LPs, probably at one point, maybe 80% of the LPs were my clients, helping them with security and some compliance areas. And then over the years, uh, now it's been nine years, uh, expanded out into compliance and licensing and quality areas, operations, and just you know, formed a really good team around me. And and we, we do a lot of work in the space now, both in the area of uh, consulting for licensing, compliance, security, and also in the area of M&A acquisition, restructuring, uh, due diligence, and, and helping people kind of buy and sell their the cannabis businesses. So it's uh, quite a quite a couple of going concerns that we have on the table, for sure. Right on. It's uh, it's uh, interesting how you how you came up into this market too. Um, can you tell me a little about those those uh, challenges? Like, what would you say are some of the biggest changes in the cannabis industry in Canada? You know, positive and negative since its legalization. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I'm definitely one of those people that was in from the very beginning. I, I don't have a background, Andrew, back into the legacy market, um, and and you know w- w- what what I o- often like to say is that a lot of what's being done now is really built on the backs of people that for many, many years had to operate under the radar. You know, they were doing yeoman's work to bring medicinal cannabis to people that needed that help and couldn't get it legally, et cetera. So, you know, I always mention that although I've been involved since the beginning of the regulated industry before the first regulations came out in 2013, um, I, I don't have that legacy experience and I'll always tip my hat to those folks. But for me, that the big changes that I've seen, you know, when it started, it was, of course, medical cannabis regulation that came into place with the MMPR and then the ACMPR. 
And, and I really feel that the that the, medi the medicinal side of the industry has kind of been left behind with adult use recreation um, uh, coming out in October of 2018. Um, I, I do think that, you know, um, one of the things that I, I think should have been better and, and can be improved is just how the medical cannabis focus, um, you know, is, is there, the education of doctors and patients, um, having a separate track for medical patients who don't want to speak to a bud tender. With all due respect, there's some great bud tenders out there, but they're not medicinal professionals. We need a much better system where patients can get really good support education and, and be motivated to, to and be able to write, you know, get medical cannabis through their insurance packages and, and not, not, not taxed as well. So there's lots of room for improvement there, I think, Andrew. A few other changes, you know, it's really evolved. Like the product development has evolved, um, the, the competition, and that's brought good and bad. You know, we've definitely seen some people that made bad decisions that, um, you know, perhaps borrowed too much or didn't have sound business fundamentals. You know, they're paying a price and we've seen consolidation in the industry but we're also seeing the positivity of that, which is, you know, there are some companies out there now that have learned those lessons, that have realized that you can't, you know, overspend, you can't, you know, overbuild, you, you must be lean and mean when it comes to how you operate your business, and you must apply sound business fundamentals, which was so much missing, you know, in the early days of the regulated cannabis industry. So I think that's a, a few thoughts around what I'm seeing changing, you know, over the last uh, over the last number of years. No, that's really interesting, and it's it's great that you brought up the pharmaceutical side because, you know, honestly, from my perspective, when I heard uh, that it was going to be legalized, my first thought was this industry is going to blow up, and it, I I thought it would be entirely driven by the pharmaceutical side. Yeah, no, and I, and I mean, I think I think that was really an idealistic kind of thought, and it should be that way, Andrew. One of the challenges, of course, is that in some semblances, cannabis challenges, one of those medicines that challenges conventional pharma, you know, and, and, and you know, so there's a, an immediate rub, if you will, against the economic interests of big pharma when you look at what cannabis could do to supplant opioid and other type of drugs. Um, so I think, you know, it, look, to, be, to be a pessimist about it, but I mean, it's the reality is there's been some degree of hesitation um, from a business standpoint from pharma. Um, it, but it's also true that this is obviously a plant-based medicine. It's, it's not as stable as some other, other forms of medicine that, um, that, that, that in the pharmaceutical business. So there, there are certainly some challenges to consistency, to stability and to getting everything, you know, in the kind of straight line that pharma companies um, prefer. So, you know, definitely quite a lot to that story. But, but I agree with you. I, uh, we are seeing pharma getting involved. It, it tends to be done quietly, um, but I think as as the industry globalizes, I expect to see more pressure on big pharma to actually embrace and step more into the light. And I do expect that to be one of the key changes in the next five to ten years. Okay, well, great that you brought that up. I was just going to ask, you know, with, with the industry seeing so many, you know, big highs and big lows in such a short time. Where do you see the industry headed, you know, in the short term and the long term? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of that depends on some outside factors that will, I think, become de determinative here. When one of them is uh, the way the government regulates, right? And, you know, I, 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 I want to see and I expect to see because it's just the right thing to do. Some of the natural health, like the CBD 
falling off of the same level of regulation as the THC. Um, some of the natural health side of the business I see going down maybe a slightly different route um, so that it's not quite as um, challenging uh, to, you know, to navigate the regulations around lower risk product forms and types. Um, so I think that's one thing that, you know, I think we've been seeing in, in some countries in the world uh, how they've been handling this. And I think Health Canada has been, you know, kind of on an island to a degree of, of, of lumping CBD and THC all together. And, um, you know, especially at this, you know, mature stage of, all, you know, we're not almost nine years now into the, since since we started regulating um, cannabis in Canada medicinally. So, you know, I, I, I do expect that's one change that we're going to see. I think we're also going to see over the next five to 10 years, you know, slowly but surely kind of a leveling out of the regulatory burden. So, you know, I like to call it right touch approach to regulation. And I think that Health Canada understands that concept. And I, and I, I believe that they're trying to navigate that path. So I expect to see, for example, some of the potency elements with, with edibles, let's say. I think some of the um, advertising restrictions. I mean, Health Canada, I think, has seen that a lot of companies have struggled and there's been a lot of economic hardship that's come out of an industry that really could have been a little different and there could have been a, many more success stories. Um, and, and I think that what they've learned is that they came out of the gate strong, which, which I think you can defend that. You know, it, it, it's a bit of a new, new, new vanguard and, and um, you know, it is a substance that's regulated through global conventions, et cetera. So Health Canada had to be cautious, but now we're nine years in, they've learned a lot. And so I would expect now to see more moves in Canada. And I think that'll feed into global change um, slowly but surely of kind of a leveling out of the regulatory burden I think the second thing is that I think that that people are realizing that you really can't do it all. And we've now seen many cannabis companies stop trying to be all things to all people, pick specific lanes of expertise where they have the best people, the best team, the lowest cost of goods, the right type of products or the right type of methodologies, the right type of IP. And I think we're seeing now some of the cream rise to the top, if you will, in some parts of the industry. And I think that will continue and we'll start to see greater success when you narrow your focus versus trying to be you know, the biggest and baddest and, and make kind of all the claims of what you're gonna be um, one day, which never really comes to fruition. No, I think that makes a lot of sense uh, to, for, for all these companies to, to take that specialty you know, and, and focus on their strong points. Because I, I think you're right. We've seen uh, some, some companies have, sort of overreached and uh, and they've struggled because of it. So no, I, I totally agree with that. So what do you what do you see as some of the vital steps for for cannabis companies, what they need to do to thrive in the current environment and, and in the future? Yeah, I mean there's a there's a long list of things. You know, I mean I, I think one of the it's almost like a unique um, you know uh, privilege in a way that I've had over my journey in the cannabis industry. I, I mean I, I'm kind of like Switzerland, right? Again I'm I work with all of the LPs. I don't. I don't have formed a favor. I'm not, you know, so and so's guy or this person I work with, but I don't work there. I work with any LP that that is reasonable and wants the advice and 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 you know uh, is is doing things right, so to speak. So I see a lot of stuff and I kind of aggregate um, all my information and experiences and arrive at you know positions of seeing you know well, hold, 
hold on, like, you know, what I'm seeing is really adding up to, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm commonly seeing these failures or these ailments, or I'm seeing some really encouraging signs and across different parts of the industry. So that's kind of how I approach it is I, I tend to, you know, my eyes are always open. I'm always trying to determine kind of where the industry is, is moving towards. And that's part of, frankly, my business strategy is to try to be ahead of that curve and try to help people to kind of turn the next corner. So, I mean, I think some of the really important things that we've learned and that need to be applied moving forward, you know, first of all, it's, it's just that the idea of financial stewardship, you know, it's, it's, it's not just borrowing money, borrowing money and borrowing money, but it's really t- having a very uh, solid business plan where you've got a nice line to profitability. You're not overshooting the runway, so you're trying to build a global behemoth of, you know, um, businesses and huge facilities and, you know, everywhere. But you're looking at how you can attack in a, in a kind of a segmented way the, your strengths and your, and your strong suits so that you can actually get the capital you need to move down those lanes that, is, that are going to um, be, uh, be profitable fairly quickly. So, you know, that's, again, financial stewardship, discipline. And aligning your borrowing with your, a nice trajectory of, of um, profitability in the near term as possible. I think the next thing we go to is, is the who, is the people. And so many cannabis companies, and it's a startup industry, and there's so many startup companies. And it's very unconventional sometimes what you see. There's not a focus on HR often. There's not a lot of focus on performance management. Um, there's often the wrong people in the wrong roles. Um, you know, there's not a lot of really good, you know, in- interviewing and selecting the right candidates. A lot of it is uh, just in time, like, you know, the, the way the orders go and the way that the needs of the industry flow and opportunities present, you know, it's a very fast moving industry. So that's very hard on the capital, on the human capital side to ramp that up and down and move that around. So one of the biggest challenges that I've seen in LPs is that they They've struggled to find the right leadership or the right you know, mid-level leadership and the right specialized people to be in those different roles. So that certainly is something. I think another one, Andrew, that's key in my mind is to have the right approach to regulatory compliance. You know, like there's, there's often the jokes about, you know, regulatory compliance being the police or being the, the ones in the room that aren't smiling with kind of a you know, s- stick up your rear end kind of thing. And, and, you know, that that is probably true in some industries, perhaps in pharma. It just can't be true in cannabis because you cannot take a conservative approach to your compliance. Obviously, you can't cross certain lines and there are rules in place. But what a lot of people don't realize is that the regulatory framework around cannabis in Canada and elsewhere, frankly, is very interpretive. It's not a straight line where it says you shall do this to this threshold or you shall not do that. There are a few areas like that, but a lot of it is subject to interpretation. And what I find is that it's, it's the companies that learn how to best interpret that compliance paradigm where they can come up to the edge of it. They can come close to the line. They can push the boat out a little bit in areas where it makes sense. But of course, they're not going to cross any red lines and do anything that would put the business or any health, of course, in jeopardy. But you've got to be creative. You've got to really um, kind of think about how you can push the boundaries of compliance, in my opinion, to a degree. 
um, to enable you to be creative in your business. The regulations can be so stifling, right? You look at the advertising regs, you look at other forms of the regulations, and it doesn't allow you to do what you would like to do. But there are sometimes creative ways to move part way down a certain path without crossing over that kind of regulatory red line. So that's just a few thoughts on, I think, some of the things that cannabis companies really ought to be looking at and focusing on. And the last one, I think, is partnership. Like so many LPs now realize they're stronger together. So as the industry consolidates, and we've seen, unfortunately, some bankruptcies and other, other such things, I'm doing a lot of work in bringing groups together that have good talent, good, you know, good ideas, good IP. And when you put the two halves together, they become a much stronger whole. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I have a couple of questions that, you know, just based on, on what you just discussed. Uh, one was, you know, with, with all the, with the bankruptcies and all the struggles that a lot of these companies have had, uh, I've, I've interviewed, you know, people from dozens of different industries. And, and most of the time when I talk to a successful company, they start up small, they kind of grow organically, you know, uh, with the market and with their, you know, with their sales and things, uh, bring people on board slowly. That, that, didn't seem to feel like the model from what I've seen from a lot of the growers, like from a lot of the cannabis producers, it seemed to be very, very aggressive, hire hundreds of people right away because they're forecasting these, these huge gains and did not growing at a slower pace really come back to bite some of these guys? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and there's no question about it at all. You know, I, I kind of draw an analogy to, you know, it was kind of like, a, 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 you know, um, that, uh, kind of um, the greatest race type, of, you know, I, I, you know, a game, a, a game show almost, where you know, everyone is is you know dealt a certain hand, let's say, of cards, but they they feel that they they're under the gun to be the first to be the first to market, right? So you know, a lot of the larger companies they borrowed a lot of money, and so there's pressure on them to be be the first to announce this or to be the first to scale cannabis to certain um, annual production capabilities, to be the first to break into certain provinces, to be the first to, you know, cross certain lines. And a lot of those firsts um, were tied to the public markets where, you know, part of the job of a public company, and certainly on the investor relations side, is to, is to impress and show uh, your, uh, sh you know, your, your shareholders and your investors that, you know, you've, you've got this, you've got a successful business, you are going to be first to market, you've got some really unique things going on. So a lot of the earlier, uh, you know, goings on were, were really um, for, a, for an audience of people that, that you know, didn't really understand what was happening on the inside of these companies. You know, um, sometimes the wrong uh, emphasis was put on things. It was a race to bring everything together as fast as possible. And when you're in that kind of situation, you're not building the right team. You're not building a solid foundation for your business. And a lot of these larger companies, when they got so far down the road to stop and take stock and think like, oh, my Lord, like we have hundreds of millions in debts. I'm maybe two years away from profitability. And the leaner and nimbler companies that have adopted a bit more of an approach that you just talked about, Andrew, which is more of a nimble business approach. Come in, be good at what you do, apply solid business fundamentals. Don't overextend yourself. Grow the team slowly. But but take you know take and claim the territory that you know you can have domain over that that is that's been successful and there's lots of mid-sized companies now and even some smaller kind of craft cannabis plays 
that have really come in and claimed that territory for their own, and they've supplanted sales and revenues and, and, and frankly, the kind of uh, domination plans, if you will, of some of the larger companies. So everyone right now really in this industry is revisiting, is recalculating, is revising their strategies and finding new and better ways to navigate an industry that still throws up quite a few challenges. So it's really the most, the ones that can adapt the quickest and the ones that can be most flexible with, with their strategies and with their funding and financing that's, that really are gonna kind of rise to the top here, I think. Okay. I, I have another question regarding, you, you'd mentioned HR, and this is something I was just curious about. The lack of experienced growers, which could be you know one of the challenges that some of these people have, is there, is it a very complicated process to bring on you know, someone who would be an experienced grower considering they, they probably did a lot of growing in the pre-legalization days? Does, it, does that make it for a lot of challenges for human resources? Yeah, I mean, it definitely did at the beginning. I, I think there's been some evolution there, which is one of the things that I think Health Canada has, has recognized and done very well. At, at the beginning of this, it was, there was a, it was very difficult for legacy growers to get security clearances and move into the positions where they could be a master grower or kind of have responsibility in these LPs. They had to stay on the fringes or just be an employee. They couldn't occupy, you know, that 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 head position, so to speak, which is which they really should be doing if they have that experience. Um, I've been impressed with how how Health Canada has uh, adapted and evolved their view there, and they accept that you know all the good growers, frankly, you know, uh, have got legacy experience. And they've they've adjusted their approach to security clearance, and they have been more willing to you know to allow um, people with um, some types of records or or, or backgrounds and pasts um, to come into the industry and get a security clearance and have a valid path to work as a as a master grower or a lead in the industry. So that, that's the first really answer to the question, Andrew. It's there's been evolution and it's positive, but the other aspect here is you don't need a security clearance to be a cultivation expert in any Canadian LP, right? It's, it's, it's up to the LP to hire accordingly. So as long as you, um, you know, properly interviewed, you obviously are excellent at growing and cultivating, you're a real um, strategist there, so to speak, but that you meet the corporate criteria for a particular LP, there's no restrictions to them hiring you, bringing you on, and even putting you into a supervisory role you just can't be the master grower on the on the license unless you have a security clearance. Well, I'm glad to hear that that's uh, that things have have evolved and, and have gotten better in that sense. Because uh, for me, it just made sense. So, as an as an expert in M and A, what advice would you offer companies looking to acquire additional cannabis companies? And what advice would you offer the companies looking to sell their operations? Yeah, it's certainly seen an uptick in activity in the M and A space, partnerships and other such arrangements. So, you know, I think when it comes to people that are looking to sell their company, whether it's a full divestiture, whether it's a partial one, or they're trying to attract a partner that might see value in them, I kind of draw the analogy to staging your home when you're going to sell it. And you really want to, you know, polish everything up. So the bottom line is what are buyers, what are buyers looking for in, in trying to purchase cannabis companies? They're, they're looking for the fastest on-ramp to revenue. So to the extent that you can make your company either, you know, uh, you know, maintain or increase your revenues or get additional supply and sales agreements, you know, sell into more provinces, um, you know, further your path along the road 
to revenue and profitability, that's certainly something that you want to do. Having the key people in the right roles that speak well of the company. So when a buyer comes in and wants to interview the master grower, wants to talk to the head of operations, these are people that speak well of the company. They understand what's happening. That They'd be a, a good catch for for a buyer if they wanted to buy the company. So quite a few of those kind of things, uh, you know, is, is, is the best advice for companies looking to sell their operations. More to do with people that are uh, on, the, on, the, on the buyer's side, you know, what, what, are they, what are they looking for? You know, what, what are they kind of looking to, to, to get into, I guess? And on that side of it, I think what we're seeing is um, there are certain parts of the industry that, um, that really offer some opportunity in terms of not being oversaturated or not really being fully addressed. One of them, for example, is the idea of tissue culture, um, of um, you know, being able to provide genetics and this kind of thing. There's not been really a company yet that's totally scaled those operations to provide a real pathway for companies who want to uh, avail of, of, of genetics and um, that kind of thing. There are companies around, but there's not really any that have scaled really large yet. I think that's an interesting area. Obviously, um, low cost of operations is always going to be attractive. So, you know, as, as, as someone looking for uh, a cannabis operation to buy, you're looking for, you know, a great team. You're looking for um, the you know, operating in areas that the margins are reasonably high. You know, differentiated craft cultivation is another area that, that definitely is, um, is attractive as well. So that's just a few thoughts on, on what kind of buyers and sellers should be thinking about and, and are looking for now. And then I guess globally, there's lots of opportunity to leverage global um, you know, investments and global M&A as well. And, and it, it, it bears mentioning that Canada has a lot of good potential for global buyers and investors to come into the Canadian market. And in a way, it's counterintuitive, Andrew, because a lot of people say, well, you know, the capital's kind of left the Canadian market. Um, and, and there's some truth to that, but the reality is that the U.S. Um, you know can't channel EU GMP product into the global supply chain. The only way they're going to do that and set up their brands and their IP is to operate through partners. Canada offers a really stable platform for MSOs and other American groups and global groups to leverage through uh, to, to get those products into market, to get the genetics, the IP into market. That one day when the U.S. does legalize federally, um, medicinally as well, they'll be able to do that themselves. But for now, they have to leverage through partnerships. So there's lots of opportunity to actually attract investment in Canada to allow other um, uh, countries to kind of benefit from the, our experience that we've gained so far. David, I have one more question. In, in many industries, uh, you know, they have very unified voices. They have organized uh, sometimes very well-funded associations. In the case of the cannabis sector, where would you say is the big voice that's that's speaking, you know, on behalf of this industry, you know, in circles of influence? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a work in progress. Up, up until very recently, I would just say there wasn't one. There certainly have been in the past, you know, one or two associations that have formed that have had big LP membership to a degree, although there was infighting and separations and competing associations were formed in the past. But they, you know, th there have been one or two groups that have been formed. Um, you know, then there are, of course, 
medicinal cannabis groups and things as well that have more, more history. But it's only been very, very recently that we're starting to hear some of the dialogue um, that, that suggests that there may be an opportunity to bring together a more unified voice. In the past, one of the problems, Andrew, has been that the, 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 the ones, the LPs with the kind of wielding the heaviest stick have been the ones that have had the loudest voice. They're paying, propping up the organizations to a degree, the associations, and they feel that their message needs to be inherent in the message of the association. That was never going to work. And, and obviously now, um, I, I think that corner has been turned. I'm definitely seeing and hearing some positive changes that the representative associations now, uh, the main one, main one or two, um, are being more inclusive. They are listening to more voices out there. And I think they are knocking on some of the right doors. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that, that more work can happen in there. And, it, and it's going to need all of us, myself included, to participate, to you know, come alongside these associations. But the bottom line is, as an industry, there's a cannabis has a very significant economic clout, multi, multi billions of dollars a year in the, uh, uh, the economy. And we have a voice that's muted compared to the economic impact. And I think it's only when that voice um, becomes louder and stronger and can speak in the right places that I believe we'll see a lot more positive change and, and, and both you know, economically um, for the companies that are involved, you know, I think will be a, will be a more um, stable economic path there. And I think also it will benefit the, the public. It will benefit really all stakeholders from a healthier, more prosperous cannabis industry. So that's what I'm looking for is to see more and more of that sign of people coming together and all speaking for whether you're a small little craft LP or you're the largest LP in the world, so to speak, that you know there is a single industry voice that can represent you and that you can feel as though um, that, that your voice is being heard where it needs to be. And that's something I'm really hopeful um, we'll keep building on now for the, for the future. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for your, your time today. I really appreciate it. Where would be the best place for people to reach out to you if they have questions related to, you know, mergers and acquisitions and, and other aspects of the cannabis industry? Yeah, I mean, the Hyde Advisory website, we have a lot of listings on there, you know, um, that, that, that are places for sale, et cetera, and some profiles of buyers we work with. So I say the Hyde Advisory website, www.hydeadvisory.com. That would be the best place to get to us. And uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, David Hyde, um, you know, very um, active on LinkedIn and certainly um, can take messages and, uh, there as well. And, and uh, I'm happy to, happy to speak M&A anytime. That's great. And so thank you again, uh, David Hyde, uh, CEO of Hyde Advisory and Investments, uh, taking the time to chat here today uh, on this episode of For Opportunity, the podcast. David, thank you. It's, it's been a pleasure. My pleasure as well, Andrew. Thank you very much. Thank you.